I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, where Washington defeated Stanford 42 to 33 in front of announced attendance, announced attendance of 24,380. I think that's Stanford math. I think if you showed up and wore a coat, they would count the coat. Um, it was probably 12 to 13,000 people here max, and I would guess it was an easily five to 6,000 uh, Husky fans. They were a lot louder than the Stanford fans. It, uh, it was, it's the weirdest crowd I've ever seen. But, uh, yes, Husky fans were loud, but uh, 24,380, uh, like I said, they must be counting the coats that people were wearing. And, by the way, it started off pretty warm. Washington was in the sun's side of the game in the second half. The temperature really dropped where it was cold in the second half. Uh, you know, so it that definitely changed it. But, you know, Chris, first of all, I want to start talking about the injuries because we saw Washington get beat deep over the top and they they're missing three safeties. They're missing their starter, Asa Turner, the starter after that. Uh, you know, Cam Fabi Kulanen and also Vince Nunley. None of those guys traveled. None of them played. Uh, asked post game about that. Um, he's uh, Kalen DeBoer said um Cam Fab and Asa are definitely day to day, but uh, he didn't go the Vince Nunley thing at all. What did he say last week when somebody asked him about Vince Nunley? Scott, uh, Scott, you were there. Do you remember exactly what he said? He uh, all he said was that it was not uh, football related and not, in, not injury and, related or not injury related and that he um, he. uh was basically um, they they didn't know if he was going to be able to play this week. Yeah, well, so. he wasn't here. Um, he wasn't here. Uh, some of the other injuries, Asa Turner was not here. Cam Cam Fabi Kulanen was not here. Vince Nunley was not here. Uh, Tuli Latula Gasanoa uh, was here, warmed up, did not play. Um, you know, so uh, Kalen DeBoer said that was a game time decision. But when you take a look at that defense, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, they were really missing some guys. Um you know, so um, especially well, let's just go ahead and get into it, guys. When we talk about the defense, how much did the lack of safety play, uh, you know, and just having Mikel Esteen, how much did that impact the game? I, I you know, I, I was watching. They, they were doing a lot um, against Jabbar Muhammad. I mean, they were getting a lot of yards on Jabbar Muhammad. And, and um, you know, Tiger Bachmeyer was uh you know really did doing well between the hashes and he had 10 receptions for 95 yards and I think almost all of them went for first downs so you know I I just I watched what what was happening and I'm not saying that not having Asa Turner not having Vince Nunley not having Cam Fabi Kulanen you know was a good thing or or it didn't impact things a little bit but man I I just I saw Jabbar Muhammad really get posted up by a lot of their wide receivers and and they they were really targeting him in the second half. Yeah, it looked like they were trying to get size against him. Mahomet yeah. probably five nine at best, and they were running guys that were six two, six three, six four against him, and just having those guys, like you said, Scott, post up on him. But they yeah. seemed to be picking on Jabbar Muhammad quite a bit. Yeah, one, one thing I'll, one thing I'll say is some of some of the pass interferences, and I'll even say the ones that a couple of the ones that they called on uh, Stanford, those are ones you just gotta let them play. I mean, there were a couple where they were hand fighting, but both players were going for the ball. Both players were looking at the ball. Um, you know, Jabbar Muhammad gets called for a couple pass interference penalties, and I'm like, where's the interference? I didn't even see it. And and the pass interference on the Stanford guy, uh, 
um, what's his name? Zan Jones, or I can't remember his name. He's number four. He's the one who got the pick, but he had the PI on Rome. And I mean, his was just real close coverage. It didn't even look like he interfered with Rome. So, you know, I'm talking about the pass interference penalty. He had he definitely had PI in the end zone and they didn't call that. So, you know, I just these 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 referees just seem very ready to just throw the flag on anything that they saw. Well, next sitting next to the new AD, standing next to the new AD, Troy Dannon on the sidelines after a couple of those calls, he kind of looked at me like. What? <laughs> what? You know, I said, are they, are they like this in the uh, in where you came from? And I'm not even going to tell you what he said. So mm-hmm. but anyways, I, let's just say the new AD was a little bit surprised on uh, some of the calls out there. But, um, you know, how not only just the safeties, but losing Thule seems to be a big deal, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely impacted them for sure. I mean, they do have enough bodies in there, I think. Um, MJ Ale and, um, you know, Fatui Tuatele can get in there and do things. Jacob Bandis can get in there and do things. Javon Parker can get in there and do things. Um, you know, they've had bodies that can get in there and get stuff done. It's just for some reason, you know, when it comes to, to guys in the middle, they get their hands on guys and they just can't put them down on the ground. And that just seems to be the one thing that you need to do as a defensive lineman is if you get your hands on guys, you need to be strong enough and, and have enough uh, about you to be able to put guys on the ground because the guys you're dealing with should be like a hundred pounds lighter than you are. And it's like, or 50 pounds lighter than you are. It's like, they should be, they should be much, much smaller guys. So yeah, there's, there's certainly that going on. And then down the field, I think when you guys talk about Jamar Muhammad, I mean, that felt more like David Shaw than Troy Taylor, right? David Shaw made a, made a cottage industry out of, you know, you know, having six, seven guys going up against six foot corners or, you know, six, five guys going up against five, 10 corners. So that, that felt like old school Stanford to me. Yeah, no, it just seemed like at times Stanford was just able to run the ball whenever they wanted. They had, uh, how many yards rushing did they have? They had. Well, but Ashton Daniels is the reason they were able to run the ball. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what everybody else did, they didn't do anything. Yeah, he ran 18 times for 85 yards. Yeah, I mean, that that was really the difference. And and you remember, it, you know, if you guys have listened to all of the stuff that uh, Chuck Morell has said, pretty much every time Chuck Morell has gotten up there and we've asked him, you know, questions about mobile quarterbacks, he said that's the theme this year for yeah. them is we're going to have to face mobile quarterback after mobile quarterback after mobile quarterback, and we're going to have to figure out how to stop those guys and contain those guys. Now, they didn't really do that against Ashton Daniels, but you know there were times when he tried to get out and, and Washington was able to stop him, but I, I don't know what else you can do. I mean, Washington had good rushes, and they just didn't make plays when they had the chance to get him in the backfield or or at least stop him for shorter gains. Yeah, the biggest concern I had when I, I'm trying to remember the quarterback's name, the quarterback who would come in, the running quarterback. and Lamson. Yeah, yep. everybody, everybody knew what was coming, and they still couldn't stop it. Well, yeah, here's, but, the thing, here's the thing, guys. When you take Daniels, when you take his run numbers out of their total run total, they're running backs. Now, I'm taking Lamson's out of those as well, but if you look at just their running backs, Smith or Filkins or Cedric Irvin, they only accounted for 35 rush yards. So Washington was doing just a fi- they were doing just fine with Stanford's running back. It was the threat of the quarterback getting out there and either some designed runs or scrambling 
where they were just a hair short. All of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, a gain for a yard or two ends up being like a five or six yard gain. It really just felt kind of like a death by a thousand paper cuts when it came to Ashton Daniels running the ball because it didn't really feel like he was just gashing them, even though he did have a long run of, of around 24 yards. But his average was like less than five. And, you know, it just felt like it was it wasn't like they were bottling him up or anything. But really, I thought honestly, I thought where he did the most damage was down the field, as we talked about, with uh, not having the safeties and, and splitting the safeties and doing some big things where some of those bigger receivers like Bachmeyer and uh, Aero uh, Manor was able to to make some things happen yeah. against some guys that get turned around and yep. and just didn't have they didn't show a lot of ball awareness guys in the air down the field. Well, the other thing, too, is this is the second week in a row, specifically in the first half. Time of possession, I mean, it was two to one. If not for the entire first half, it was pretty close. Yeah, to, to give up only 13 points in that first half when you have the ball for 21 minutes, that's pretty impressive, especially considering they had the ball for like like nine minutes, I think, in the first quarter and didn't score. I mean, so Washington did a nice job again. I know Washington fans don't like this when we talk about this identity of bend but don't break, but I thought, you know, forcing them into some field goal situations and then obviously at the end of the game, getting some fourth down stops, those types of things, which really ended up being turnovers for Washington because they had to make up for the fact that they gave up some red zone turnovers as well. You know, these were all things that I thought the Washington defense did a very, very good job at, despite the fact that, again, 33 points, uh, against Stanford with this particular offense, it's it's not what they should be giving up. Yeah, no, and it was, like I said, you know, the, what Jabbar Muhammad said after the game, losing those safeties, you lost a lot of experience. And Mikel Esteen, he's been in there for times, but he doesn't have anywhere near the amount of uh, experience as those other guys. And I think that really, really hurt these guys. And in addition, when you start talking about this bend and not break, they're playing to the personnel they have. That's the personnel they have. And if you're going to try to be something where you just don't have the personnel, and you got to give the coaches credit for that. Yeah. I, I one, one guy I'd like to single out just on the defensive side, and I thought it was interesting because one of uh, I don't know how many times they actually did this. I'd have to go back and really research it. But I saw a few snaps where they had three inside linebackers in there. They had Ulafoscio, Alfonso Tupatala, and Carson Bruner in there. And right. Ulafoscio had 12 tackles and a forced fumble. Um, but I thought Carson Bruner, there's something about Carson Bruner playing at Stanford Stadium where he just comes alive. If you guys remember the last time they played down at Stanford, that was like his breakout game. And the way he played today with those tackles and then like that form tackle on that kickoff return, man, that just was, that was so sweet. That just was like perfect. I was going to ask you if either one of you noticed when they were going with those three linebackers, were they taking a safety out? Were they doing that because of the lack of depth of safety? Were they substituting the linebacker for the safety? Yeah. I'd have to go back and look, honestly, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but not that the, is certainly, that certainly would make sense. Yeah. Not, not the safety. They pulled, they pulled the uh, Mish, I think a couple times. Yeah, okay. so, but they yeah. were playing like a full seven in the box, which is not something they necessarily do. And I don't know if that was because they were trying to limit um, Ashton Daniels running the ball. They just wanted to get uh, get him closer to the line of scrimmage. 
But uh, the other thing, too, guys, is that they really – I thought Stanford did a nice job with some of their crossing routes, did a nice job in the middle of the field with their passing, their intermediate passing game. And I thought that was something that I think Washington needs to go back to a little bit more when we talk about the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, just uh, – it was a tough day defensively for the team without a doubt. But, uh, you know, they've got some stuff to clean up. They really, really do. You know, and I think getting Thule back next week, they really need Thule back and they really need to get one of their safeties back. Um might doubt I am really doubtful on uh, Cam Fab um, because when he was being taken off the field, I thought first it was just a concussion and a head injury, but uh, he didn't <clears throat> walk off the field last week. He was carted off the field and it looked like his right knee. So that's the one I'm least optimistic about. I, th- I think guys, I think one of the things that that Washington fans really need to consider in just the last couple games and and the defense and how it's had to kind of win this battle of attrition for all four quarters man stanford ran 86 plays against washington today they they had the ball for over uh let's see what was it they had the ball for over 35 minutes as it turned out so it was like basically 35 minutes to 25 and washington had to have the ball like uh almost 16 minutes at the in the second half just to start to get those numbers maybe a little bit more even. But when you're when you're having to go up and play 86 plays in a game, man, that's that's either your offense is just not getting the job done and they're getting off the field too soon or they're getting the job done and they're getting the job done so efficiently that the the defense just has to keep going on the field because they keep scoring all the time. Well, obviously today it was a little a little hit and miss with the offense because they were kind of doing a little bit of both. Yeah. And, you know, moving over to the offensive side of the ball, you know, Michael said he wasn't feeling well. He didn't sound great uh, post game. And Kalen DeBoer, (laughs) dude, he was sick. Um, Scott, was it you or was it Scott or Chris that was with me at practice on Tuesday when we had the player interviews? It was you and me. I don't know if you remember seeing Michael walk off the field, but I mean, it I mean, temperatures were in the 50s and Michael was walking out with the, the that big, huge overcoat did you notice that i did not see that no yeah you know what i'm talking about you know the the wet the mm-hmm. they wear when in pullman you know but mm-hmm. walking off the field but it, i thought it was pretty obvious from their first drive michael didn't look right yeah and well and i mean softy has actually put out a tweet that said um he was told that most of the team had the flu yeah. so that's that would, cer- that would certainly consider. answer some questions mm-hmm yeah, no, it was funny because Michael said that you know the, he practiced. I don't know how much he practiced, but you know he said the main thing was they wanted to keep him away from some of the guys, but they didn't have any problems throwing him in front of us and breathing and hacking on us. So, but I think that was a big thing where Michael wasn't feeling well. And again, what was kind of driving me crazy was just the amount of times they were trying to establish the running game, specifically on first down, giving the ball to Dylan Johnson and just getting stuffed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the they were able to get some yards here and there. But, yeah, I mean, they, they just, you know, I mean, Stanford was kind of daring them to throw the ball. And, you know, without Jalen McMillan, I, you know, I don't want to blame it on Jeremy Bernard. I don't want to blame it on um, uh, Giles Jackson. By the way, it was kind of weird not seeing him out there with uh, J- uh, Jalen McMillan getting injured and not playing. But, you know, I I don't want to blame them. But this team, this offense has 
taken a hit, uh, you know, since he's gone out. They're just not as explosive. Now, I don't know if that's because teams were so worried about his speed or what he could do or what it was, but they are they are, they are not finding the open open windows that they had uh, before. Now, today they did, but this is also the 133rd best uh, pass defense in the country. <laughs> you know, it's the worst pass defense in the country, and Washington was able to take advantage of it, but Washington should have been able to chuck the ball all over the field, and they weren't able to do that tonight. Well, another thing that was kind of unusual, and it's a first, uh, Jalen Polk hadn't had a drop ball all year. He had two of them tonight. Yeah, yeah, one, and both of them would have been first downs. And, you know, the, and he knows it. He's not dumb. He's a leader. He's a veteran guy. He knows what, what those kind of catches mean, and, and uh, I'm sure he's going to hear about it from from Shepard, and I'm sure he did hear about it from Shepard. But, you know, you got to move on, got to forget about it and move on. And he had a couple of really nice plays later in the game. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, th- this team is veteran and, and you got to believe they're going to, they're going to, um, step up and make more plays and get better. Um, but, uh, you know, and Romo Dun- Odunze had a, had a drop as well on what would have been a first down. So, you know, I, I just I watch this team and they just seem out of sync. Now, some of that could be because they're sick. Some of it could be even the Oregon hangover from from uh, two weeks ago. I don't know. But whatever it is, man, th- this offense just looks out of sync. I and it's funny that we say it's out of sync and they still managed to go for 400 and what? 469 yards, 439 yards, whatever it was, 460 yards on the night. And, you know, Michael Penix threw for 369 yards and had a fluke interception. Granted, it was a key interception, but it was still a fluke interception. And and, you know, you you just it's out of sync and they're still putting up tons of yards. I think it's impressive. Yeah. No. And the other thing is, you know, I was in the end zone, you know, looking at the team coming at me and Michael was missing receivers, you know, by a little bit was overthrowing a couple of deep balls. Jack Westover a couple of times was just right over the middle, you know, 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. And Michael just didn't, I mean, he didn't throw it to him. And that's normally something Michael is doing. So maybe not feeling well, he's not processing things as much. And the other thing I kind of noticed, he didn't seem to, on a couple of the longer throws, he didn't seem to put as much air under them as he typically does. Yeah, there was that one to uh, Polk, or uh, was it Bernard? It was Bernard that, you know, should have been a, a long play toward the end of it. Was that the end of the first half? Chris, do you remember? I just, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I just, I know that it was obviously a really good sign that they got Bernard back, even though, cause it, I don't know if you guys got this impression. I got this impression during the week that they, they seemed to kind of intimate that Bernard was, was more iffy than yeah. Jalen McMillan was. That's mm-hmm. right. Right. So that that was interesting. So it was I thought it was really good not to see not only to see Jeremy come back, but also have some key passes in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of what he needed yeah. to do to kind of get back in the game. So, you know, he had a couple of key first down catches. Yeah, he yeah, he sure did. Yeah, you got I, I was unable to see it. I was in the end zone and it just there was too many people in front of me and the scoreboards here. The replay screens aren't good, but uh, Jack Westover carrying the ball in for a touchdown. Uh, can you tell me what happened on that? I all I saw was a pig pile and Jack with the ball in his hands. It's it was literally just an inside handoff. He was he was kind of the up, not one of the upbacks. He he had gone in motion and then come back and um, they faked it to Dylan Johnson, I believe, and the thing just kind of opened up for him. 
Yeah, it yeah. was just like a split flow play where mm-hmm. all the flow is going to the to the far side to the far hash, and Westover literally just stood there. He didn't even move and just waited for Pendix to come to him, and then he just took the handoff and went the other way. Yeah, the lo- also the long pass to Jalen Polk. I think the way the the officials were officiating the game when we saw the flag, we were just going, okay, they're going to call it back. But <laughs> and the players on the sideline were all thinking it was going to get called back as well. What'd you guys see on that? On oh uh, the touchdown, the ninety-two yarder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. It would it it looked like obvious defensive pass interference to me. It was um, bad. It was it was bad on TV. Is from from my perspective. Yeah. They didn't they didn't trail they didn't track the ball hardly at all on it. They made it kind of feel like it could be a fifty fifty, and because the the defender was on the ground, you could almost assume that it was going to be on pole, but it was one of those. You got to, you got to finish the play out and let the refs sort it out. And then obviously once that happens, then you're like, oh, well, if the refs have to sort it out, of course they're going to figure out a way to, to, to net, to negate the play, but that didn't happen. Yeah. I, I, I'm worried about, you know, just the referees, it's just, I hate to complain about officials, but they're just so, so inconsistent. You know, Braylon Trice has probably got red marks around his neck, you know, with arms are just holding him back. But the pass interference calls, there were ones that were obvious that weren't called. There was ones that shouldn't have been called. It was just an oddly, this wasn't an official's best day. Let's I was going to say, I'll be Kim. I'll be. I may be the contrarian on all this because we've talked about the pass interference calls, and and I think Scott's right. They should have. They should have probably just taken all of those off the board because both teams were kind of going at it both ways. To me, the more egregious penalties that weren't called were the holds. I mean, they yeah. they they could have hold. They could have called holds on every other play at the line of scrimmage against Stanford's offensive line. I mean, there were some that were absolutely egregious that that weren't called and. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, at, at some point, you know, if you're if you're Kalen DeBoer and you're and you're putting together that tape to watch it, to to put film out, you know, you're trying to lean on the refs to tell you what the coaching points are so that you can coach your guys up so that they understand what the referees are supposed to be looking for, what the points of emphasis are. But how can you do that when the referees themselves clearly don't have a clue as to what they're emphasizing? They yeah. don't. They, they don't. They don't follow their own, um, their own guidelines and really? their own and their own coaching, uh, you know, teaching points that they're supposed to be telling yeah. the coaches about so that they can pass it on to the players. Braylon Trice is just flat out looking at the referees with his arms up, like, "What do I got to do? Yeah, I mean, what do I got to do?" Because that's one of the things that people don't understand is that the coaches can only coach up their players so that they don't get called for those penalties. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes you get called. Sometimes you're out of position. Sometimes you got to grab some Jersey. Those things get called totally understandable and they should get called. But when you're doing it at the line of scrimmage, and again, if they're deciding that they're not going to call any holds or something on either side, fair enough, let them play. If you're consistent in that, I get it. But these guys aren't consistent at all in it. They called a couple, but they they could have called so many more that were even more egregious. Just real quick, Washington was seven penalties for 78 yards. I think most of those were going to be in the first half. And Stanford, eight penalties for the same amount of penalty yards, 78. And I think the biggest no call was on the interception where, I mean, you could just flat out see Rome's jersey being stretched and yeah. the ref, I, I mean, I started looking at the ref and Rome started looking at the ref and he looked like, 
he just looked clueless on it. I guess it's the neutral, maybe, guys. Maybe maybe you're saying that's karma for the no call uh, for the play where they scored against Arizona State that wasn't called. You know, I mean, if, maybe if all these things kind of even out in the end, you could make that argument. It's like, OK, fair enough. I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, I to be honest with you, I thought a lot of the early calls totally went against Stanford. Like that first drive where Washington scores right off the bat, they had a couple personal fouls that were like, oh, OK. Well, you're just you're just giving Washington a lot of yardage. That's not what you want to be doing to start this game off. You want to get your guys off to a hot start, not the other way around. But it's it felt like everything was kind of going against Stanford a little early on. And then once they got the ball and Washington wasn't able to get them off the field right away, then a little different tone was set. Yeah, and it, it sounds kind of weird. This team is 8-0, and they beat a Pac-12 team on the road, and we seem to have more criticisms and think that this wasn't a very well played by Washington. Uh, you know, even in a, a road win in the conference to take them at 8-0, and I think sometimes we need to keep things in perspective because the next four games, that's gonna, I mean, that's going to tell you who this team really is. Yeah, I mean, ask ask Washington State if they're feeling good about playing at Arizona State today. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not easy to win on the road. I don't care how you're. Let you ask USC fans how they're how they're uh, what they think about their game at California today. They and, gave up 49 points to Cal's offense. And do yeah. you remember how ballistic Washington fans were going when Washington gave up what 32 or 33 points to Cal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And or is Oregon State still losing? Uh, it's tied. Uh, it's tied. Yeah. So I guess we're giving away when we're recording this. <laughs> but yes, it's yeah. ten, it's, well, we're, it, we're doing this at halftime. It's 10 all, but it actually should be 13 to 10 Oregon State. They decided to run a, a trick play on on a, on the their last second field goal attempt and didn't get it in. So. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing of it is, it's just I think and I've said this word a couple of times. I think we're getting spoiled. I think the fans are getting spoiled and just expecting it. So, you know, um, but like I said, you know, the next four games of course, possibly the next five games are going to, you know, show what this team really is. And like I said, you know, Chris, we talked about this with Arizona. Washington's come down here and played like this and they usually lose these type of games. 100%. I mean, it, it, it went all the way down to the wire the last time they played here. It took uh, Washington. They scored with 20, 20 or 21 seconds left on the clock when Dylan Morris found Jalen McMillan in the corner of the end zone to win that game. And that was – and if you guys want to talk about a, a poorly played game, man, that game was awful compared to today's game. Today's yeah. game had plenty of mistakes in it. Don't get me wrong. But at least there was two two teams that were battling it out, and they made some things happen. That game, what was it, 2019, 2020, whatever that was? Well, that for was, which one? Or 21, excuse me, it was 21. That that game was awful. That game was awful. And it as it turned out, that ended up being the last game that they won that year. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. we got a lot of work yet to do, so uh... – and a lot of stuff going on. So, Chris Fetters, you want to wrap it up? Sure. Yeah, 8-0. and um, I think they've really, in the modern era, I think it's only been like 1984, 1991, 1992, and 2016. So this is uncharted, you know, really fifth time in, in, modern, in the modern era that, that Washington's gotten to 8-0. and So huge congratulations to Kalen DeBoer and his staff and the players for getting it done. Um, you know, winning on the road is never easy, guys, and especially at places like Stanford. You know, I mean, it's 
I remember for years, everyone's talked about, oh, playing on grass, playing at night, Pac-12 after dark, this, that, and the other thing. Well, hey, they came out with a win. They never trailed crazy enough. I know that they're, you know, that probably is going to get lost in this stuff as well, but they never trailed in the game. And uh, yeah, credit to Stanford, man. That Troy Taylor is a good coach. Troy Taylor is a good enough coach that we talked about it in the pregame this morning where, you know, the Sacramento State team beat Stanford at Stanford. That was Troy Taylor's team. That's what well, that's what Stanford fans should be looking to going forward because he's going to build that kind of culture and that kind of program. And it may take a year or two, but he's going to get that done because he's a good coach. So they're clearly improving. And to be able to get that done in a situation where they weren't firing on all cylinders, clearly guys were banged up. They were sick. They weren't feeling great, but they still gutted it out, figured out a way to win. 8-0 going to USC. That's a hell of a week. And on top of it, guys, the first uh, college football playoff poll comes out on Halloween. I suspect that if, if they're not in it, they're going to be at five. So uh, a lot of good things to think about as Washington continues to try to improve and get better and fix all the things that they need to fix because they certainly have a lot of things to fix. Hey, Scott, 2-0 hmm. on grass. Grass is not a thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Wrap it you up. sure? You sure? <laughs> Yeah. yeah let's, let's see how they are. Let's let's see what their record is after next week. Right. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, the uh, you know, I Washington, obviously, like I said earlier, you know, the offense is definitely out of sync. It's not where it needs to be, but they're still putting up a lot of yards and a lot of points. And, um, you know, Arizona State is obviously a better team than than they looked before they played Washington. So because uh, of what they went out and down and did it at what are. That what they did uh, down in Arizona against Washington State. So, um, you know, Ashton Daniels, if he's if he plays like this, um, you know, moving forward, because he's only a, what is he, a sophomore? I think he's a sophomore, man. He's going to be really good down the road. So, um, you know, I, I echo a lot of what Chris said. You know, Washington usually used to lose games like this in the past, and they didn't do it this year. Um, in either of the two games that they should have won relatively easily. And um, I'm a little uh, surprised that that these games were as close as they were, but Washington came away with a win. An ugly win is still a win. They're still 8-0, even if it's an ugly 8-0. And um, I think Washington has a real big chore coming up over the next four weeks because they're playing four teams that are a lot better than the teams that they've barely beat these last couple weeks. So um, Washington's gonna got a lot on their plate, but, uh, you know, they're still 8-0, and uh, you move on to USC starting tomorrow. I'm going to miss not coming to San Francisco. I'm not going to miss the earthquakes. We were, I was actually uh, at the Olympic Club yesterday with Andy and his son. And Andy's doing great, by the way. So he always makes me smile. He's such an awesome human being. So we're at the Olympic Club uh, having drinks. And all of a sudden, it started shaking. And the place, I mean, it was packed in there. And it was loud. And all of a sudden, it just went stone cold silent. It Lasted about 10 seconds. Things were swaying and uh, then it stopped and everybody just went about their day. It was a 4.1, but it's just kind of, yeah, we're used to this down here. So I'm not going to miss the earthquakes because last year when I was down here, there was an earthquake, you know, when I was just kind of getting ready. And so, no, I'm not going to miss the earthquakes. So, uh, but again, it was great to have dinner with uh, with Andy. And then uh, just, you know, 8-0. When it, it's... Uh, it's a special time when you're 8-0, and yeah, this team is not perfect, 
no team is perfect. There is no dominant team in college football right now. Georgia is not what it's been in the past. Florida State's got their issues. Uh, Michigan's got some issues, especially with all the off the field stuff. So, um, yeah, you can sit here and nitpick and just talk about all the problems, you know, that Washington is having right now. But they are eight and oh. You know, and I'll take that any day. So uh, it's a special team and we'll see what Mike panics can do. And hopefully uh, he gets over the stuff that he's going through right now. So we'll see what a healthy Michael Penix can do down at USC, who narrowly escaped beating Cal down there. So I'm guessing with everything that's going on down at uh, USC, Jen Cohen is aging faster down there than she was aging up here. So also just a reminder, basketball, basketball season starts tomorrow, but not the season. They have an exhibition exhibition game tomorrow night against uh, St. Martin's. So uh, our workload just got ramped up another notch, Chris. We're used to this, and it's just where in football and basketball collide. It gets kind of crazy. Also, just wanted to make a note before I forget, speaking of basketball, Mark Sanford was on the sidelines, a really good basketball player back in the day, and uh, it's always good to see Napoleon Kaufman. So he's a special guy. So saw Napoleon down here as well. So, hey, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.